Welcome, welcome, welcome back to your weekly neighborhood watch meeting. I am your host, Ebony D, your neighborhood DNP. Here we discuss all things healthcare with the number one plan being to put things in a way that you understand. Thank you for joining me for season one, episode seven of your neighborhood DNP podcast. Um, so as you know, this podcast is broken up into three components, um, which includes uh, Ebony's Epiphany, your weekly wellness wisdom, and last but not least, uh, what the people want to know. So for this week's uh, episode for Ebony's Epiphany, I wanted to discuss um, just different things and stories I used to come across when I was an ER nurse. So in honor, let me uh, rewind. And so January is National Poverty Awareness Month. So on today's episode for Ebony's Epiphany, I wanted to discuss the different facts about poverty rates and how they directly affect healthcare outcomes. So I remember when I was an ER nurse, we would have certain situations where patients would come in repeatedly, right, um, for different things like elevated blood pressure, um, high sugar levels, um, headaches, or different things that um, they would come almost like clockwork for particular things, like what if it was every month or it might have been every two weeks for the same ailments. And so unfortunately, um, in the ER setting, they would be referred to as frequent flyers. And being fully transparent, um, when I first started as an ER nurse, I would feel the same way, like, man, this dude comes every month because he doesn't have or his... He, he'll come every month because his blood pressure is too high or she comes in every month like clockwork because her glucose is too high. I don't understand why they can't get it together and I don't understand why they're not compliant with, you know, what the doctors are telling them. Well, slowly but surely, I became curious and I began realizing that a lot of these patients are not adhering to what the recommendations are because they're missing something. And when I say they're missing something, they either have no insurance to cover their medical needs. And so it's one thing to tell us as providers, it's one thing to tell our patients, hey, I need you to take this medicine, this medicine, change your diet to this, this, and this, and then send you out the door without even wondering or inquiring about whether you can afford to do what we're asking you to do. Then it was situations where they didn't have money to cover, like the co-pays for the medication um, or the medication in general in order like for what we were prescribing for them to take care of their needs, or they didn't have transportation to get to follow-up appointments. So again, it's one thing for you to come to the ER or the hospital and we treat you for something and then say, okay, when you leave here, we need you to go see this doctor, this specialist, uh, get this type of equipment and then not make sure or even ask, do you have the the means or the transportation to do any of the things that we're asking you to do? And then the most common, not the most common, but one of the um, top things that I would recognize when I would see the same patients kind of coming in on a monthly basis would be the fact that they just didn't understand the instructions on how to take care of themselves or make necessary appointments once they left the hospital. So far often we would have patients that would come in and you would ask a question like, okay, when is the last time you took your uh, blood pressure medication? Well, I took it like two weeks ago when my blood pressure was X, Y, and Z. Okay, well, this bottle says that you're supposed to take it every day, twice a day, once in the morning, once at night. And you do have the medication. So you know, what was the reason you stopped taking it? Oh, well, I stopped taking it because I started to feel better. So then there was like an educational gap that we needed to address, right? 
So um, the more I worked in the ER, the more I worked in the community that I worked in, it just became abundantly apparent that, you know, sometimes us as healthcare providers were quick to throw the title on patients of being non-compliant without actually taking the time to find out why that person is non-compliant. Now, granted, the ER is one of the busiest components of a healthcare system of a hospital that there is. And so most times we feel like we don't have time to sit down and figure out why you don't have what you need. But I can tell you that sometimes just taking five minutes to figure out why something is happening the way that it is would be life-changing for most patients if we took that time. Um, So one of the things I wanted to kind of preface uh, this episode around is just facts about poverty and how it directly affects our healthcare outcomes. So some fast facts is that there's 37.9 million people in poverty. Um, Neither the rate or the number uh, in poverty has significantly changed since 2020. Um, Hunger and malnutrition, uh, limited access to education and other basic services, social discrimination and exclusion, disability and restricted access to participation in uh, different uh, welfare programs has led to uh, a lot of healthcare disparities. And what I mean by healthcare disparities is the fact that uh, a certain population of people don't have access to high quality healthcare. Um, Poverty is increasingly linked to disparities in life expectancy, meaning that um, our life expectancy may be minimized if we don't have the proper income to support um, our health as it is recommended by healthcare providers. Low income Americans have higher rates of heart disease, diabetes, stroke, and other chronic conditions compared to higher income Americans. And one of the things I would say to this is that when you have a lower income household, we the people that live in lower income households are more likely to purchase foods that are processed or high in fat or high in sodium, um, things that they can afford, but they can buy it in bulk to supply for their entire family. But we know that these types of food and this type of nutrition is not good. And it leads to these things such as high blood pressure, diabetes, and other chronic conditions. So poor health also contributes to reduced income, which kind of creates a cycle that we often refer to as a health poverty trap, right? So if I'm making, I'm working at a job and I'm only making so much money and I can only have this particular amount of money to spend on food, right? And I'm purchasing those, the food that is high in fat, high in sodium, but because it's more affordable for my family, it leads to again, those disease processes like high blood pressure, diabetes, and then I become sick, I become ill, and then I don't have the ability to go to work, right, to make the the income that I am able to make and sustain my family. So it just becomes a very vicious cycle that we see that we kind of get stuck in. Um, Poverty can impact the ability to obtain employment, but it can also force people to stay in jobs that are unsafe, mistreated, or where they're taken advantage of, right? So when you are uh, living within the communities that are considered to be parvish, sometimes we have jobs that may be unsafe um, as far as the amount of hours that you have to work to make a decent income, the uh, type of environment that you're working in that may be unsafe because you don't have the proper protection that you need. Um, So poverty is pretty, 
not, I don't want to say it's a one size fits all, but it's a situation that affects so many components of our life that we definitely, as healthcare providers and as patients ourselves, have to figure out how we address that gap and how we address the need. Um, so for our weekly wellness tips, what I wanted to review is how do we fix things, uh, how do we fix uh, particular issues that we face in light of poverty, right? So how do we fix this as healthcare providers? One thing I recommend for my fellow healthcare providers is to screen for um, our social determinants of health. And so what social determinants of health is, there are uh, there are conditions and environments where people are born, live, learn, work, play, worship, and age that affect a wide range of health, functioning, and quality of life outcomes, and it kind of assesses the risk. Um, in a short format, what that means is the, there are certain uh, components of our life that directly affect what we can do to improve our health outcomes. So some examples of social determinants of health include safe housing, transportation, the neighborhoods that we live in, um, sometimes if we're facing racism or discrimination um, in the certain healthcare arenas that we're going into, going into or seeking healthcare from that directly affects you know, how people treat us and what we're exposed to and what we have um, access to. Um, if there's violence within our environment, that kind of limits our ability to do outside activities out of fear of not being able to do those things safely outside, right? Um, education, job opportunities, and income. Kind of talked about that earlier about how that affects um, our ability to maintain our health. Um, Another social determinant of health is our access to nutritious food and physical activities and opportunities. Um, as far as the environment that we live in, are we surrounded by polluted air or filthy water, which has like poor filtration uh, mechanisms? And then what is our language and health liter literacy skills? I'm sorry. Um, so for our healthcare providers, one of the things I wanted to go over is one of the screening tools that I use at my primary um, care setting. And this uh, questionnaire that I'm getting ready to read is roughly about 15 questions. And this questionnaire can be found on the American Academy of Family Physicians website. Um, but I just want to give an example of the things that I assess in my patient population to see, to help determine whether or not they need more help or uh, support in order to maintain the treatment plan that I'm recommending for them. So um, I'll just kind of go over the different areas. So the first question, the first two questions are regard uh, in regards to housing. So we ask the patient with the questionnaire, are you worried or concerned that in the next two months you may not have stable housing that you own, rent, stay in, um, as a part of a household. Number two, um, do you think about the place, think about the place you live? Do you have problems with the following? Bug infestation, mold, lead paint or pipes, inadequate heat, oven or stove not working, um, no or not working smoke detectors, water leaks, none of the above. So these areas just kind of help to identify whether they uh, our patients have sustainable housing, and if they do have housing in the sense of having the shelter and roof over their head within their home, are they exposed to anything that could be detrimental to their health? 
The second area is food. Within the past 12 months, are you worried that your food would run out before you have the money to buy more? How uh, is this often true? Is it sometimes true? Is it never true? Um, and this will help to identify, you know, do they have the access to these nutritious foods that we're recommending that they utilize in order to change or maybe reduce their likelihood for high blood pressure or diabetes? Again, we often are prescribing treatment plans or medications and not really assessing if they can walk out what we're asking them to do. Within the past 12 months, the food you bought just didn't last you or you didn't have enough money to get more. Is this often true, sometimes true, never true, right? Like I stated when I was in the ER, sometimes I would run across patients that they're they're on a fixed income or they're low income. And so they would often have to make a choice between making sure they had enough food for the month or taking that money and buying, like covering their copay. So this is a questionnaire that I think definitely uh, will kind of pull that information out of our patients because not everyone is, uh, you know, forthcoming with that information. Sometimes we let pride get in the way. So we may not say, hey, I know that you told me to take this medication, but I can't afford that medication. It actually was going to cost me X, Y, and Z. I'm on a fixed income and it's either feed my children or my grandchildren because we know that's common um, or pay for this medication. I also can't afford the food that you're telling me to get because when I go to the store, um, a carton of eggs is now $7, you know what I mean? So um, these questionnaires as healthcare providers will help to kind of pull that information out um, that may not be voluntary on the front end. Uh, the next area is transportation. Do you put off or neglect going to the doctor because of distance or transportation? Yes or no. This will help us to identify maybe this patient will benefit from more telehealth visits, things that they can do from their home. Or maybe we need to find a location that's uh, off of a bus line where they could maybe, you know, take the bus to an area um, or take the bus to a provider's office that we're recommending utilities in the past 12 months has the electric gas oil or water company threatened to shut off services in your home yes no or it's already shut off again just wanting to make sure that they have adequate access to the resources the basic necessities that they need if they can't if our patients can't cover their basic necessities they for sure can't cover medications and equipment that they may need to um, have to sustain their health child care is another uh the next section do um do problems getting childcare make it difficult for you to work or study? Employment is the next section. Uh, do you have a job? Yes or no? Again, aligning with their ability to cover certain medications, certain equipment, certain resources that we recommend that they cover. Um, with education, do you have a high school degree? Yes or no? Uh, this can be a little intimidating, but I can tell my audience that one of the reasons we ask this question is because we as providers need to know how much of what we're telling you, you understand, right? So we don't take this information and say, oh, well, they don't even have an high, a high school degree. Technically, when we're providing education to our patients, we should use nothing more than a sixth grade level of education. But at least knowing where you are educationally kind of helps us tailor your treatment plan in a way that you understand, at least that we're, that's what we're supposed to do. Um, so finances. How often does this describe you? I don't have enough money to pay my bills. Is this never, rarely, sometimes, often, always? Again, just another way to assess the financial uh, baseline for our patients. Personal, safe, uh, personal safety is our next section. 
How often does anyone, including family, physically hurt you? Never, rarely, sometimes, fairly often or frequently. Again, we kind of want to know if our patients are being um, victims of emotional abuse, domestic violence, things that we may need to intervene for to kind of help them get to a safe space. How often does anyone, including family, insult or talk down to you? Again, that's a never, rarely, sometimes, fairly often or frequently. This plays um, a huge component into the mental health of our patients. And um, what we should know as healthcare providers is we wanna treat our patients holistically. So if mentally they're dealing with things, whether it's depression, abuse, uh, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, and things of that nature. Some Most times if that part of their self is not in line or together, it's very hard to, for us to recommend how for them to manage the physical ailments that they have. Sometimes, not sometimes, all the time, your mental, your mentation has to be together, has to be together in order for you to persevere physically. Um, still in the realm of <coughs> personal safety, excuse me. How often does anyone, including your family, threaten you with harm? Never, rarely, sometimes, fairly often, or frequently. How often does anyone, including family, scream or curse at you? Again, all of this is pertaining into our uh, physical safety of our patients, as well as the mental health um, component as well. And then the last section is actually the assistance. Um, would you like help with any of these needs? Believe it or not, sometimes when this questionnaire is given to our patient population, they will identify a slew of things that they need or that they um, have issues with. But the problem is, at the end of the day, they have to be receptive of wanting our assistance or wanting our help to find assistance and resources and referrals. So that's a huge component. Even though they identify things that could be wrong, they may not want help or they may be prideful or too prideful to um, accept help from anyone, or maybe receiving help from us means that they're not able to get other resources. So before you start trying to put things in motion, you wanna verify that this particular patient wants your help in these areas. So what I like to tell my fellow healthcare providers is once this questionnaire is done, you should definitely take the time to review it and see, um, take the time to figure out how you can help address some of the issues. Um, one way that I like to use this questionnaire is I try, once I review the questionnaire, see what my patient's issues are, I try finding more affordable options for them. Um, I start to evaluate different programs for like medication coverage. One good website that I'll put in our, um, in the show notes, is goodrx.com and you can go on there and you can put in a name of a medication and this is beneficial for those who don't have insurance um, you put in the name of the medication and i believe they still give you like five different pharmacies um, of how much that medication you're prescribing would cost um, a patient that um, costs one of your patients right so it'll compare maybe walgreens against cvs maybe against um, kroger or Publix and different uh, pharmacies of that nature, and it tells you which one is more affordable for your patient. Again, if I'm not mistaken for this program, this is only for uninsured, so you can't utilize this with someone that has insurance coverage. But for those who do have insurance coverage, you might want to evaluate medication programs to see um, options where it would either be free or low cost to the patient. Like I know 
um, back in Michigan, and this will be specific to your state, but like back in Michigan, uh, Myers and Walmart, and I believe Target may have had like a $4 um, medication list or free antibiotic list. And so as healthcare providers, you want to see what's available in your local state so that you can see, um, maybe evaluate that list to see if what you're treating for your patient, there's a medication on the affordable list. So it's not too much of a financial strain for your patient to take that medication or uh, have that medication filled. Um, and then above all else, you just want to make sure that you tailor your suggested care plan to your patient needs. Um, healthcare should never be a one-size-fit-all approach, right? As we know that we see a variety of patients, we see a variety of concerns, from, um, and we see a variety of people from different backgrounds, cultures, and diverse, um, uh, sorry, diverse cultures as well. So you want to make sure that what you're recommending is specific to your patient. Um, and what they are either undergoing, what they're used to, what their culture says they can and cannot have, whether that's uh, the culture that they live in or their religious beliefs. You just want to make sure that we always have a holistic approach to the healthcare that we're delivering to our patients as healthcare providers. Um, when and if you cannot, as a healthcare provider, find affordable options for your patients, um, as it pertains to alternatives to what you're recommending. Sometimes you have to get on the phone or get on the email and actually um, advocate for your patient and do what we call a peer-to-peer -peer review. Like I know this is, uh, and this is with insurance companies, right? So they may recommend, oh, well, before you do this medication, I need you to try this first. And as the healthcare provider, you're like, no, I know what will work best for my patient. So I need you guys to cover this regimen that I'm recommending. So sometimes it's taxing because it's a lot of back and forth with the insurance companies. But you do want to make sure that you advocate when at all possible for your patients. So now that we've reviewed some of the ways that healthcare providers can both screen and address um, social determinants of health, which will kind of help bridge the gap between poverty or low income and our healthcare outcomes. I wanted to talk to the audience about what you can do as a patient when you're going into the healthcare system and you know that you may not have the resources um, that you need to ensure that your health is optimized. So the first thing I always want to tell uh, patients to do is to speak up. So if your provider is recommending something, whether it's medications, a treatment plan, or lifestyle changes, and you know deep down in your heart that you're undergoing a lot of um, economic stressors and you can't afford them, just let them know. Sometimes it's not really obvious that people aren't able to adhere to what we're recommending if they don't tell us. Um, sometimes you may be dealing with a healthcare provider that sees a lot of patients throughout the day. And so unfortunately, maybe they don't take the time, like I'm suggesting, and ask that uh, those questions in that questionnaire. But you as a patient, you know that, okay, you are telling me to get this medication. However, I know I'm on a fixed income. One of the questions, some of the questions you want to ask is, hey, do you know how much this will cost me every month? Hey, is this medication covered by my insurance? Is this equipment that you're telling me that I now need in order to check my blood pressure or in order to check my sugar level every day? Is that something that's covered by my insurance or is this something I can go into a local store and get for cheap? Do you know the pricing? 
So don't be afraid to speak up and let them know, let, let your healthcare provider know if there's something that you can't do or something that concerns you about what they're recommending that you do. Um, another thing you can do is ask your providers about different programs that may help you cover expenses for medication or equipment or help you to coordinate care. Because like I mentioned before, sometimes um, our patients leave the hospital systems and they have just paperwork, right? You guys just get paperwork where it says, okay, follow up with this doctor in three weeks, follow up with this doctor in two weeks, follow up with this nurse practitioner or specialist within a month, but then there's no one to actually help you coordinate care. So you can ask your provider if there are programs that can help you um, coordinate such care, uh, programs that may help you with uh, co-pays or medication coverage or to help cover for equipment. Normally, if you're being discharged from the hospital, they do have social workers on staff that can help coordinate care by making sure that you have what you need, whether it's equipment, follow-up care, or medication um, when you're discharged home. So if you know that you are someone that you don't have the resources or you don't have the knowledge to figure out how to coordinate care for you or your loved one, you can always ask your nurse or the physician or a healthcare provider such as a nurse practitioner or physician's assistant, is there a social worker that you can speak to before you leave the hospital so that you can make sure that everything is in order before you go? Um, some provider offices like doctor's offices and often um, all of the insurance companies have people called case managers who kind of help um, coordinate these things when you're not in the hospital. So their primary job is to identify how they can help you coordinate your care. Again, whether this is medication coverage, follow-up care, um, equipment coverage, and things of that nature. So I would say case managers are for uh, patients that are not inside the hospital at the time of the recommendation, and social workers are typically utilized during the hospital stay. But either way, you can ask your provider, do they have someone that they can recommend to help you with these services? And they should be able to point you in the right direction. You also, as a patient, want to research community organizations and resources that may help cover expenses um, or provide support to those who are underserved, underinsured, or not insured at all. Um, so one website that I'll give all my patients and I upload into their uh, discharge plan is called the Neighborhood Navigator. I will put the link to this uh, resource, which is a very, very helpful resource, um, into the show notes. But um, for those who are just listening right now, the website is navigator.aafp.org. Again, that's navigator.aafp.org. So on this website, you can go on, log in. Um, you don't have to log in. You can just go to that link that I just provided you, and it's going to ask you for your zip code. Once you place your zip code in and you have the option to then proceed to what select, I mean, to select what services you may need support with. So some of the services that they provide, uh, like local um, organizations that can help you based on your zip code include food, housing, uh, work or employment establishment, financial support healthcare, and this can range from in-home support, medication coverage, equipment coverage. It's an array of different services under healthcare. Education, so maybe you want to um, further your education by taking the skills or trade. That's also on there. Legal support. Um, it's just a plethora 
of different um, areas of life that you may need support in. So I want you guys, if you do nothing else, is to take this link, tab it, put it in your phone, favorite it, whatever it is that you need to do, because it's a wealth of information and a wealth of community organizations that can help you. Um, navigate either your health care, your work life, your socioeconomic status, all of those things. Um, so again, if you take nothing else from this podcast, please utilize that link. Um, and the last thing that I would suggest is to pack a lot of patience, but persevere. So the, one of the reasons I say that is because some of the resources and people that are working, like such as the social workers, case managers, and even your providers, they are working very hard to ensure that our patient population, especially the underserved population, have the resources that they need. So we know that when you're underserved, uninsured, or underinsured, you don't have easy access to the things that we're recommending, which means that oftentimes we have to get involved and we have to get those type of people involved, like the social workers and case managers. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that need those people. And so what I'm just trying to say is when you are someone that needs these resources and you need the support of these people, just try to be patient because they do have a heavy workload and they're normally doing the best that they can. But if you're not getting the results that you need, just continue to let them know, hey, remember, you know, I still need help coordinating X, Y, and Z. Hey, I still need support with this. Have you, you know, um, found any resources that can help me with this. Um, sometimes you can call your insurance company. I do encourage you to call your insurance company yourself, which is a 1-800 number normally on the back of your insurance card. You can also call different uh, medication um, companies uh, when you can't afford certain medications to see if they maybe have like a financial assistance program for patients. So there's different things that you can do in the meantime while you're waiting on someone designated to help you. But if you know that you're in a situation where you can't do anything without this person coordinating your care for you, just try to be as patient as possible because they're trying to help as many people as possible. So keep reaching out when you need to get others involved to help advocate for you, whether it's your provider or someone in their office or even a loved one. If you know you don't have the energy to continue making these phone calls, see if there's a friend or a family member that can advocate for you on your behalf and try to coordinate that care so it's not so burdensome burdensome to you. Um, so with that being said, that's all I have for you guys for this week, um, this week's Neighborhood Watch. Again, if you guys have any questions about any of the content, uh, feel free to email me at yourneighborhooddmp at gmail.com. Again, that's yourneighborhooddmp at gmail.com. I also have my social media platforms on Facebook and Instagram at yourneighborhooddmp. Feel free to send me private messages about any questions that you may have. If there is a particular topic that you have, you can utilize my email or my social media platforms uh, via DM. And please know that I would never disclose your identity with the questions and topics that you may have. Um, again, that's all I got for you guys. Uh, I hope you guys have an amazing and blessed week. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Be blessed.